0: You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris.
1: And my name is Stephanie. And this week we are talking about the eighth episode of season two of Orphan Black, variable and full of perturbation. And this episode is spoiler free in regards to any subsequent episodes. There are no spoilers for future episodes in our episode. It's always a little confusing to have to say episode that many times. I know. So the title of this episode comes from the New Organon again, Francis Bacon's The New Organon, and it actually is in the same sentence where the phrase governed as it were by chance, which is the title of episode 4 from the second season comes from. They're in the same sentence. It actually is it actually precedes the phrase governed as it were by chance.
0: Hmm. How many shows would have an episode with the word perturbation in
1: the title? Very few, very few. And I must say, with, with what the second to last scene, I guess, I am full of, of perturbation, meaning anxiety after, after watching this episode.
0: I think somebody did comment at some point that variable and full of perturbation sort of sums up the feelings of anybody in Clone Club.
1: Yes, I agree. So we have to talk about the lovely surprise that was Tony. I don't think any of us were really expecting to meet a new clone in this episode, let alone a trans clone I don't know
0: i I think all of the comments online about oh, the first two or five in some cases minutes of the episode are going to be so shocking. it's I can't wait to see what everybody's response is and all of the hype all week and I think I'd i seen, did not see any of that <laughs> well because you hide from it, but I, I know. Can't apparently, and in the promos there was like a a figure with their face covered a little bit, and I'm kind of like, oh, probably that's another a- Tatiana, yeah, yeah, basically. And so, yeah, I mean, as soon as Tatiana speaks, it's like, oh, it's another clone, and I was actually not that surprised that they actually had a trans clone because they were talking about possibly doing it last summer. So,
1: yeah, I know in some chat that Tatiana did with fans where they could ask her questions, she was asked about the possibility of playing a transgender clone and she she was all, "Yeah, I'm totally game for that." So I knew that it had been the idea had been floating out there for a while.
0: But of course, come to find out, I think that was already in the works. Tony was already in the works at the time of that chat. So, they've been keeping lots of secrets.
1: And I have to say I was really I was really happy that they went there and that they included Tony. I'd been actually really hoping for a male-identified clone to show up at some point Mm -hmm. because this this show is all about identity. And I I would love them to really stretch and explore different ways that the clones could have different identities. And yeah, I was just really happy to see them tackle a transgender character. And I thought they did really well with it.
0: Me too. Yeah. It's not something you see that often if at all.
1: So I I have to give big props to both the writers and, of course, to Tatiana Maslany for their handling of Tony. And I thought they just did a lot of things really right. Yeah. I loved that they didn't have Tony. Basically, Tony didn't explain himself ever. Right. He just was who he was. And they didn't make him tell his transition story he didn't have to talk about whether he'd had top or bottom surgery. And and they actually, they used Felix really well to kind of get a little transgender 101 info out to the audience in case they were unaware. But they didn't have Tony do it. And I actually really liked that. And what's
0: great is they had it where Felix was sort of delivering that to Art. Mm-hmm. And Art never slipped up on it after that. No. Which I appreciated.
1: Yeah, she, he used female pronouns. And then Felix very gently corrects him and says, he's, he's trans. And then Art subsequently only used male pronouns with Tony. And I thought that was a really, a nice little moment to include.
0: Right. The show's very responsible about it. hmm Which I think we all appreciated.
1: Yes. And I also like that they really pushed some gender boundaries with Tony, Mm -hmm. Because I feel like a lot of times when we see trans characters on television, they are often very heteronormative. And by that word, I mean this idea that people naturally fall into complementary genders, very distinct complementary genders, meaning men and women. And that that heterosexuality is like the the default or the the normal sexual sexual orientation. And I like that they had Tony have long hair, which I think a lot. I even saw somebody maybe criticize that, saying, "Well, I don't know that a trans guy would have long hair because of its association with women." I have a couple of, of friends who are trans guys who have long hair, so <laughs> we can't just like make these these assumptions. I think that. This is associated with women and this is associated with men. There are plenty of men with long hair.
0: I actually did see, I think it was a Tumblr user, I effed it all up, Mm -hmm. had commented in response to a similar comment, you know, talking about the long hair being too feminine. It's like, well, why do we think of long hair as being feminine? So challenge those assumptions, everybody.
1: Right. So I liked that they gave Tony long hair and I liked that they, they had him clearly be attracted to Felix and I mean, don't get me wrong there are there are plenty of trans people who have this this a more kind of heteronormative gender presentation where they have short hair and they're attracted to somebody of an alternate gender, but there are trans people who aren't that, and I think just the more flavors of representation that we can get out there are are really great,
0: which again is something that this show does really well with, so mm-hmm.
1: yeah, so thank you show right. But yeah, just to use the only real example, other example I can think of of a like prominent trans character is unique over on Glee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if you look at unique compared to, to Tony, unique is very kind of heteronormative. She, she wears very, very feminine clothing. She has longer hair. She's attracted to men. And I feel like that's often the type of trans character we get. Nothing wrong with that, but I love that Tony adds something a little different to the mix. And then another thing I really liked about Tony, which is actually not related to him being trans, but I love that he was so very obviously kind of inhabiting this very working class blue collar persona. And given that besides Sarah and and Helena, all the other clones we've met have clearly been very middle or upper middle class. I thought it was super fascinating that he was was such sort of a working class individual. Mm hmm.
0: Of course, the the comment about parents being assholes and stuff, you know, you get the sense that Tony's been on his own for a while. So or with Sammy, I guess. But
1: but there's also this possibility because that, that is a possibility that maybe he he left his parents house or was even kicked out of his parents house at a fairly young age. But I also consider the possibility because he mentions his parents having IVF treatments. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we've mainly seen middle and upper class clones, clones that come from middle and upper class families, because IVF is expensive. Right.
0: I was just going to say and, that.
1: Yeah. And, and it's not covered by insurance generally. Which also
0: explains Sarah and Helena, because they weren't with the parents who had IVF. So
1: Exactly. And so there's also maybe this possibility that Tony's parents maybe saved up all of their money because they really wanted to have a child. And perhaps that's maybe why they were working class. Maybe he grew up in a working class family who had exhausted some of their financial resources and IVF treatments. So it it, it just raised a lot of like questions for me for Tony, about Tony's background. And that's good. I want to be intrigued and want to know more about a character when they're introduced. Right. And I mean, Tony's delightful. Oh, he is. I liked him a whole lot. I just his personality-wise, I liked Tony a whole lot. Right. Uh Tony. But I guess moving more into his storyline, I thought it was great to hear a mention of Beth again.
0: Yes, it has been a while. And well, as we were talking about, I guess, two weeks ago, where we'd sort of caught back up with the Maggie Chen thread of the show. And so i had been wondering, you know, if that was going to bring Beth back into the story in some way. So I like that we are... Really circling back around to where the show started.
1: And then Tony spends most of the episode just talking with, with Felix. And that's how we really get a sense of Tony as a person is how he's, he's handling Felix. And it's not quite a cat and mouse game, but it's very much this dialogue for lack of a better word between Felix and Tony really like sussing each other out and Tony trying to get rises out of Felix. And it's a very calculated dialogue between the two of them.
0: Which actually putting it that way really does sort of highlight the similarities between Tony and Sarah.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now that I'm thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I guess by extension, we see how overtly kind of sexual Tony is. And I think he might be the most overtly sexual clone we've met, with perhaps the exception of Sarah. Good point.
0: I was, I was going to make some argument about Kasima, but Cosima's more, like, sensual than sexual.
1: Well, and Cosima's a little more, like, coy and flirty.
0: Which is what I mean.
1: Yeah, where whereas Tony's more just sort of in-your-face about it. and And Sarah, I feel like... Can be that at times, but it seems to be a bit more of a of a, I don't know what's a good word for it of an attack. <laughs> <laughs> whereas whereas Tony was a lot more, you know, kind of like teasing and toying and and trying to draw Felix out or in in that regard. So I thought that was really interesting.
0: Sarah's is a tactic. Tony's is a way of living.
1: Yes, exactly. He's clearly very charming most of the time. And really knows how to work his smile and being sexy. Because t- cause Tony was quite sexy, I must say.
0: What was it he said to Sarah? Was it, damn, girl, we're hot. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yes. And they are. Yeah. But as a result of the, the flirting and the teasing and the toying between Felix and Tony, we got the kiss between Felix and Tony. To which I was watching it with my partner. We should say. We are we are recording this episode a little later than we usually do because I wasn't able to watch the episode on Saturday with Chris. So this is a couple days out. Which is why I
0: had to spend the time talking to people on Twitter. So thank you, people who kept me company on Twitter.
1: <laughs> Go ahead. So I was watching the episode with my, with my partner. And when we, we got to the kiss, my partner was just like, yeah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> wasn't quite sure how to react. It was very confusing. Because we have Tatiana and Jordan Guevara's kissing, and even though Tatiana's not playing Sarah, Tony still looks a heck of a lot like Sarah, because they're clothes mm-hmm. and yeah, it was just, I don't know, what did you think? Did you find the kiss weird, sexy, both? Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like, I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> I know. Because, like, attractive, but then there's that whole... In addition to Sarah and Felix, I mean, there's the whole Tatiana and Jordan are so, sort of, like, siblingy in real life. Mm-hmm. That the whole thing just feels kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Felix and Tony are kind of fun together. So part of me kind of ships it, but part of me feels weird about shipping it. So
1: I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think actually for that moment, that's how the writers kind of wanted us to feel. Oh, because I know. I mean, that's kind of how Felix feels like, I gather, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Felix, cause the kiss is, isn't not hot. The kiss is hot, but there's this weirdness of Felix is kissing this person who looks exactly like his sister. And you can see Felix grapple with that as, as Tony is kissing him.
0: I do kind of love the way they they played that kiss, where it kind of ends with Felix going, "Okay, too weird."
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't too weird. <laughs> but finally, after a time, we had Felix have to have to call in Sarah to deal with the whole clone thing. I thought that was interesting that he was like if, that. Felix was saying, "You know, this not, this isn't my place to tell you what's going on." Mm-hmm. And I liked actually that the fact that Felix randomly painted a penis on the picture of the memorial picture of Sarah was brought up in this episode Mm -hmm. as Tony being like, what is going on here? (laughs) You have a picture of a person who looks exactly like me and there's a penis on it. What is going on? Yeah. Oh, Felix. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, so Sarah's finally called in and has to float the whole clone thing to Tony and he reacts rather well to it. Better than anybody else we've seen,
0: yeah. I mean Sarah Sarah kinda of rolls with it, but but Tony seems to just embrace it pretty immediately.
1: Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting that the writers the writers seemed to decide that because he was transgender, because he had done previously probably a lot of searching about his identity, that he was able to roll with this this information that had been so earth-shattering to, to the other clones. Right. Because that's essentially what he said. Yeah. He's like, I figured that all out a long time ago.
0: There's only one Tony, and you're not me, sucker. <laughs> exactly. It's a good line.
1: It is a good line. And, and continuing with the shots of, of multiple clones that don't have to be this complicated, but we're going to make them this complicated just because we can. There's that awesome shot of Sarah and Tony circling each other. Mm-hmm. In Felix's apartment, it's just a, another, ugh, how did they do that and make it look so good type of moment. Because they're awesome. I did, however, I must say, I think I I, I can see where they cut together the scenes of Tony leaving Felix's apartment and bumping into Sarah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's like a, a spin around a curve, and it's like, ah! that's where they put the cut (laughs) to splice the two (laughs) scenes together. I know this from watching Serenity, (laughs) the Firefly movie, because there's this anyway. So I was like, Hey, that's where they put the cut in. (laughs) If people are wondering, (sighs) you might be thinking about it too much. If (laughs) yeah. Yeah. But the whole storyline in regards to Tony has been, you know, he has this message that Sammy wanted him to give to Beth. And so finally, once Sarah fessed up as, uh, to the whole clone situation, Tony reveals the message and it's essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, take heart, Paul is like me, he's a ghost. So we get Tony confirming for the audience that Paul is is a good guy, it seems like.
0: I have a lot of questions now mm-hmm. is sort of where we've left off. I have theories, but mostly questions.
1: But Paul does seem to be pulling his ghost act in this episode, because he's missing, and even Rachel can't find him.
0: Yep. And, I mean, man, watching Rachel get all irritated. Paul's in trouble, you guys.
1: <laughs> if he ever shows up again. So, yeah, we had had the sense that Paul didn't know about the clone situation. That he was had been kept blind to that piece of the experiment. But... Maybe this suggests that he knew all along.
0: I kind of still think maybe he didn't really know. Okay. I don't know that. This is, again, just theorizing. Because, I mean, it's possible that he knew. And that might actually explain further. In the first season, you had that question why is it that Paul immediately deactivated his Terminator mode as soon as Sarah told mm-hmm. him they were clones? If he Mm -hmm. knew, that would explain it, because then he'd know that He would know she was
1: telling the truth. Right.
0: Yeah. But, I don't know, the sense that I kind of get, and this is entirely just me speculating, but it seems like maybe, okay, this is just going to be me making crazy theories here, but- Go for it. (laughs) Okay. So, we know that Project Lita was originally probably a military thing, Mm -hmm. And then they said that the military gave up on it, right? And it Mm -hmm. basically got adopted by Dyad. So we know that Paul and Sammy were former military guys. And it seems like they got drafted into Dyad. And when I say drafted into, I mean blackmailed. Because of the thing that happened in Afghanistan, which Mrs. S alluded to. So I'm wondering... If, because the military knew about Project Lida, and presumably would know that Dyad has it now, maybe they set up the situation in Afghanistan so that Dyad would try and use it to blackmail them into service?
1: Hmm. Like, so a in- way to maybe infiltrate Dyad? Exactly.
0: I'm speculating hmm. that Paul is, or Paul's, you know, ghost status is... Like he's a double agent for the
1: military, maybe. Hmm. That's an that's an interesting theory. I like that. Okay,
0: conspiracy theories.
1: Woo! <laughs> but now I'm I'm even more eager to get more information about Paul because he's been such a controversial figure th- this season. But now we get the sense that okay, maybe he's really a good guy, and I, I would like for him to come back and give us more information. Hmm.
0: But that would also explain maybe his continuing to work in Dyad for Rachel and everything. Although
1: mm-hmm.
0: now I'm wondering why that would mean that he's disappeared now. What is the significance of that?
1: Yeah, exactly. Why is he disappeared at this particular moment? Right. If he could have disappeared all along. Mm-hmm. So going back to Sarah, she was kind of twiddling her thumbs a bit in this episode. Not a whole lot going on for her. She was mainly, I feel like, being a mum to Kira. Yep.
0: Which is good. I mean, yeah. I I feel like that's something that needed to happen just because she spent the past few episodes away from Kira and we've seen Kira resenting her for it. So it's good mm-hmm. that they're fixing that.
1: I I thought it was very sweet them making a mobile out of the Little Paper Angels and Sarah lamenting that Auntie Allison wasn't there.
0: <laughs> I liked that, too.
1: It, and again, it I, I liked it on the level of, yes, if Allison were there, she would have made a killer mobile and it would have been awesome. But again, I feel like it's, it's revealing that Sarah is coming to really think of these women, these other clones, as part of her family and really take them into her circle.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I th- think, to some extent, it's that Kira so easily does it that maybe mm-hmm. that's allowing Sarah to think of them that way, too. Mm-hmm. Since uh, Kira seemed pretty quick to accept Auntie Allison and Auntie Helena,
1: who actually never gets referred to as an auntie. No, she doesn't, does she? Kira just calls her Helena. Because she's kind of more of a peer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Kira ask- asks Sarah about Helena. Mm-hmm. And and I was, again, kind of frustrated with Sarah's answer because I'm frustrated with Sarah for leaving Helena a couple episodes ago with yeah. the police. And, but that's all that we see or hear of Helena, which makes it two episodes in a row without our favorite little psychopath assassin.
0: <laughs> which is stressing me out. I know.
1: Because I, know. I worry
0: about her, you guys.
1: I d- well, because she's headed back into... Prolethian territory, and they're all manipulating her. We have reason to be concerned for Helena.
0: I know. It's stressing me out. Although I'm I'm hopeful that Helena is maybe taking a cue from Sarah and is planning some sort of, or or is perhaps participating in some sort of counter-manipulation. Like, she's playing along, maybe.
1: I hope so, too. But I, I worry that she's not. And they are just manipulating her and are going to use her horribly, and then I'll hate them even more.
0: I was commenting to our friend Annie the other day that I'm actually less stressed out than I was at this point last week for some stupid reason. But now I think I'm stressed out again. Thanks a lot, Stephanie.
1: <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, you're not.
1: <laughs> I was not my intention. I do apologize. I'm teasing you. But I thought it was kind of weird for me to see Delphine show up at Mrs. S.'s house. Do you ever... It was one of those moments where she's like, this person should not be in this place. Was it weird for you, too? It was. Yeah. Was like, this this is so strange. And then I had a moment of like, everybody in this scene is so attractive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, I was sitting there. It's like, oh, you have a good face. And then it switched to somebody else. You have a good face, too. Like, everybody in this scene has such good faces. Everybody on this <laughs> show has such good faces, you guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we, we could see, see what from happens the inter- when are not here <laughs> i was gonna say i probably wish would have just encouraged the getting distracted by people's faces probably you probably would have <laughs> but we see from this exchange between sarah and and delphine that sarah is still not a fan of delphine she does not trust her even though cosima is is dating her right
0: and well I don't know. I, it's one of those things, I was thinking about this because I saw that you'd made this comment, and I guess my thought on it was that it's not so much Kasima dating her, because she never trusted Delphine before, when Kasima was expressing her interest initially. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that surprises me about Sarah still not trusting her is that Sarah infiltrated Dyad in the first episode this season, and Delphine helped her. Right. And totally didn't rat her out or anything, and still she doesn't seem to trust her. So I guess I kind of just don't know how to feel about that.
1: I guess I, I can't blame Sarah for it, really, but... I can understand where if Delphine had accrued some goodwill from helping Sarah infiltrate Dyad, that that very easily would have been erased by the fact that Delphine hid the fact that Cosima's treatment was from Sekira's stem cells. True. Just recently. Yeah, but then it's like, does Sarah know that that happened? I don't know. It's possible Cosima didn't tell her that Delphine hid that fact. Because we didn't see that part of the conversation, the conversation if that no.
0: was part of it or not. so
1: It's true. But if she did find that out, I could see where that would erase goodwill that Delphine might have accrued. Well, sure. Because as
0: we've said many times, Kira's like the one thing that's... There's no debate about Kira.
1: No. But to be fair to Delphine, it's not like she went and harvested the tooth.
0: Oh no, I'm not <laughs> I'm not blaming Delphine for it. I'm just saying yeah. that from the clone's perspective,
1: you know Don't ki- mess with Kira.
0: Kira's the line you don't cross. Yeah. I did think it was interesting that Mrs. S was the one who was sort of like Well let's let's hear her out on this, Sarah, so
1: And then she was the one who talked Sarah into handing Ethan Duncan over to Dyad.
0: Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Because Sarah seems entirely unwilling to trust Rachel. Of course, I was thinking during that scene, too, because Delphine says something about how she thought Leaky was the lesser of two evils. Mm -hmm. But, of course, she's not privy to the information that Sarah and Mrs. S had learned that Leaky's the one who killed off Rachel's mother. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things. Like I, I feel like they just kind of all need to get together and share all their information, <laughs> right? Because there's all this stuff that the other characters don't know, and so I don't know if anybody really has a full enough picture to know who to trust,
1: right? Or at the very least, we don't know that the characters know this information. It's possible Delphine knows about Leaky, but by her actions in this episode, it really did not seem like she did know that that Leaky had killed. Susan Duncan and had tried to kill Ethan as well, right? But we have we ha- we also had Mrs. S in this episode being an international badass by her her exchanges with Ethan Duncan about being willing to put a bullet in his head,
0: being willing to pop her papa in the brain pan.
1: Yes, I I, I liked how Ethan was like I like to pretend that she's kidding. I'm not.
0: <laughs> of course she's not because she's an she's international not. badass. Badass.
1: However, despite her scariness, Kira seems to be okay with Mrs. S again. She seems to trust Mrs. S again. I thought they had a cute little reunion when Felix brought Kira over. So sweet. Mrs. S! (laughs) So because Kira trusts Mrs. S now, does that mean we can trust Mrs. S? I hope so. I think so. I want to trust Mrs. S. I'm going to take Kira's word for it. Me too. I I will usually go with Kira's instincts on people. So I'm hoping this means we can trust her. I did think it was
0: sweet also that Felix felt left out when Mrs. S was so happy to see Kira.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, what about me? <laughs> Group hug. It was very, very cute. And Kira just in general was pretty awesome in this episode. I loved when Ethan was reading to her from the island of Dr. Moreau and Sarah trying to be a good mother was all do you really think that's appropriate? Kara's just exasperated reaction. <laughs> <sighs> uh-huh. <laughs> Throwing her head back against the couch. Oh my goodness, it was so fantastic. Although I've
0: got to say, I agree with
1: Sarah. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> because I read The Island of Dr. Moreau when I was in college, I think, and it kind of freaked me out then. So...
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably
0: not appropriate for a seven-year-old. <laughs> but then it's Kara, we- so who knows?
1: Yeah, it's Kara who's actually... Probably mentally, like, in her 50s. (laughs) And we see in the last last scene of the episode with Kira that the copy of the book of The Island of Dr. Moreau that that Ethan Duncan was reading from and gave to Kira seems to have some very important notations in them. I'm assuming that those are the the formulas or at least some of the science behind the synthetic sequences for the clones. That is what we are led to believe, yes. Yeah, because he makes that comment about how he won't be used as a pawn, more Mm -hmm. or less, Right. after he gives her the book. So it seems like a very wink and nod. This is not the only copy, these discs that I have in my jacket pocket that I'm going to turn over to Dyad. Yep. But now I'm worried about that for some reason. About the book? Or about the discs? Or which piece are you worried about? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, don't say all of it.
0: (laughs) Oh, uh, if I had to narrow it down, I think I'm particularly concerned about the fact that Kira has the other thing, like because they want Kira too. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just worried in general. Yeah, as always.
1: I I've decided that I I'm not going to worry about Kira in the immediate future, because despite being seven, she's very smart and knows how to take care of herself in a lot of ways. Fair enough. So I'm, I've decided to stop worrying about Kira for the time being, just to give myself a little peace. But let's talk first about Rachel, because once Ethan leaves Mrs. S's, he, he goes over to Dyad and, and we see that in, in Leaky's absence, Rachel has very literally stepped into his place and she's using his office and trying to sell this company line that Leaky died of a heart attack.
0: Yeah. I was actually thinking about this earlier and it kind of dawned on me that she doesn't actually know that Leaky is dead.
1: It's true, but. And I had this conversation as well with somebody. It's just the easier explanation. Because what we. I think what we glean from what she says to Leaky, you know, don't go home, don't go to your car, maybe you'll make it. Mm-hmm. That Dyad intended to kill him.
0: Oh, I, I fully realize that. But because she thought she gave him. A chance. Well, she did give him a chance. She didn't execute the orders. Pun, maybe. <laughs> Terrible. Because she didn't follow through with what she was instructed to do, he may or may not have survived, but which is what I'm saying. She doesn't know what actually happened to him.
1: And we, we see Rachel meet with In- Ethan Duncan, who has brought the synthetic sequences, and... Well, I guess before that, she met with Delphine, mm-hmm. and do you think she was actually being genuine when she talks about, you know, we have an open co- connect communication with Sarah, maybe this can save Kasima, maybe it can save all of us? Do you think she was being genuine in that moment? Do you think she wants to save Kasima? I'm just never entirely sure about Rachel's motivations.
0: I honestly don't know. I think it's It's in the company's interest, probably, right? Mm -hmm. Which would make it in Rachel's interest. Rachel, of course, should have a vested interest anyway, because she could end up sick. Mm -hmm. Maybe she is already. We don't know. It seems like she's not, but you don't know.
1: It reminded me of the moment between Rachel and Sarah in the premiere, where Sarah's pointing the gun at Rachel and she tries to use kind of clone sisterhood to maybe talk, talk Sarah down. So which is probably why I'm not fully trusting of Rachel, because she did not seem genuine to be genuine in that moment with that little smirking smile she gives Sarah subsequently.
0: Right. I mean, I also don't know, but I do think that it's it's entirely possible that it's a a combination of genuinely wanting to cure Cosima for whatever reason. But probably for more business in nature. Yeah. And also manipulation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But in her meeting with Ethan Duncan, I thought it was very interesting that we see her apologize for getting so emotional the last time that they met. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this very Rachel moment of, I had not been dreaming of that moment for the past 20 years. Our relationship must be strictly business. And just closing back in on herself.
0: Right. Which seemed really harsh at the time when I was watching it. But after, like, a moment's deliberation... It's like, well, you know, why would she have been dreaming of it for the past 20 years? Because, I mean, he knew he didn't die, so he would have been thinking of a reunion. But, you know, in her mind, he had died. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's not something that you would necessarily have as some sort of feasible
1: hope. I don't know. I could imagine her hoping to see her parents one more time since they were taken away so suddenly.
0: Well, but I mean, only in sort of an unrealistic kind of context. You know what I mean? That's true.
1: That's true. I mean, it would be
0: a pipe Hoping dream, it, essentially. Hoping for but knowing that
1: it was a pipe dream. Yeah. Okay. I get where you're coming from. Yeah.
0: As opposed to like a genuine hope. Because I feel like adult Rachel would just have all that sort of thinking just sort of knocked out of her head a little bit. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. But I could definitely see where, even though she was raised as self-aware, Now that she's a, what, 20, 27 or so year old woman and knowing what she knows now about the clone experiment, how sort of the childhood part of her might still have some warm and fuzzy feelings about the father that she lost. And that would cause her to be emotional when they were first reunited. But then all of that knowledge of the role that her father played in her life and has turned her into this experiment would then counteract maybe that emotion that might well up inside of her because of old childhood dreams. You can't help but not miss your parent. I'm guessing I've not lost a parent, but you cannot help but miss somebody that you that you consider to be a parent. But at the same time, Rachel's perspective is just so different now.
0: Right. I think they're uh, 28 or possibly about to be 29.
1: Okay. I couldn't. I tried to do the math quickly in my head and it didn't work out well. Well, they were born
0: in 84, (laughs) Eighty-four. The series starts in late two
1: thousand twelve. I wasn't Yeah, I wasn't entirely sure what year it was supposed to be on the show, which is why I stumbled. But but during Rachel and Ethan's exchange, she brings up the the fact of Sarah, Sarah's fertility, mm-hmm. and we'd had a sense from their first meeting that this was something significant to Rachel. This idea of motherhood. And we really get a sense of how important, I think, it is to Rachel in this scene. Right. Because Rachel freaks out in her mind. Apparently in her mind. There was this question about whether the, I, I, I call it the hulking out, happened in actuality, sort of subsequent to Ethan leaving her office, perhaps, or if it just happened in her mind. But you, you read the interview with John Fawcett and Graham Banson on TV Guide Canada?
0: Yes, FYI, everybody, there's like a post-episode interview after every episode on TV Guide Canada. So I I did actually finally read this week's – usually I don't have time because we record right after the episode. But since we're recording this a little bit later, I've read it, and they do indicate in their – I think it's the question that the interviewer asks is actually phrased about Rachel's internal – freak out or something like this. I, I'm i paraphrasing, but they don't say that it wasn't. So I assume that it, it was intended to be a visual representation of
1: Rachel's inner mind. So, yeah, again, I feel like we really get a sense of how much the idea of being a mother meant to Rachel and, and having that taken away from her, how much that hurts her and has enraged her clearly.
0: Mm hmm. And that it is something that was deliberately done
1: to them. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Thinking of Rachel as an orphan, even though she was effectively adopted by Leaky, that somebody who it has their family taken away from them, grows up without their, their immediate family. I could imagine would dream about the day that they could create a family of their own and, and have children and and just to have that intentionally not be an option for her. I can totally understand where Rachel would react the most strongly maybe of, of, of all the clones we've met about that.
0: Yes, exactly. And of course, to have this longstanding bitterness towards Sarah for being able to have that and to realize, you know, because she's thought of Sarah as as a success and them as failures and to have that inverted. I I can see how that would throw her off too.
1: Mm-hmm. But I guess I'll go ahead and say, I, well, I thought that the, the scenes of, of Rachel's internal freak out were beautifully shot, very well acted, very, a very visceral representation of Rachel's anguish. I actually was not a huge fan of them. I kind of wish that they had relied just on, Tatiana's acting to convey that that inner turmoil. But I seem to be the minority in that regard. Everybody else I've seen online really, really loves those scenes.
0: I don't know. I, I think part of what it is, for me at least, is we've seen Rachel be so tightly controlled the entire time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, the fact that it is an inner turmoil thing. And, and granted, I think when I first saw it, I wasn't sure if that's what it was or if it was like a little bit of a flash forward to, you know, after Ethan leaves the office. But it does seem in rewatches and everything to be an inner turmoil situation. But it's, it's interesting to me that that's what the response is or that, that it's portrayed that way because it's so much like what we've seen from Sarah. Mm-hmm. Because we've seen Sarah do that in Felix's loft, right? Where she just gets so mad that she just freaks out and starts destroying things. So I kind of like it in that sense that it's it's a visual representation that inside maybe Rachel isn't so different after all,
1: right? And I I, I agree I agree. Moving on to the other person besides Lena that I'm very concerned about. Kasima, and Delphine, who start out the episode on not good terms, understandably so, given where they left things at the end of last episode. Yep. And I had—I gotta say, I kind of cringed when Delphine swiped her keycard, and it, you know, buzzed and flashed the red light at her. I was like, ooh, harsh Kasima, but I totally get it. Right. And that whole thing where, you know, Delphine's
0: just sort of doing what she's always done, and. Like everybody always does, right? Where you swipe the card and immediately grab the door mm-hmm. and nothing happens. And yeah, it's, it
1: hurts. And girl fights are mean. <laughs> Scott is not wrong. Scott is not wrong. And speaking of Scott, we got, I thought, some really nice Kasima-Scott bonding in this episode. Yes.
0: I guess that's the real upside to Cassima and Delphine fighting, right? Is
1: mm-hmm. now she's gotta
0: got to hang out with Scott.
1: And apparently they bond over a game called Rune Wars. Yes. Which I had not heard of before. I saw the, the game and I was like, huh, that looks like a combination of like Settlers of Catan and Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering. I'm not entirely sure what's happening here, but apparently it's a real game. It is. Though I did look it up online and it says it's only for two to four players and yet they had five people playing.
0: I kind of wondered if maybe Cosima was, like, taking somebody's spot.
1: It's possible. It's possible. And it's also possible there's maybe an expansion for the game that allows for more players. I know Settlers of Catan has such an expansion. But when I looked it up, I was like, two to four players, but there's five players on the show. What? But that's just me being nitpicky and weird. <laughs> well,
0: because she did high five the guy next to her when she had her victory with Pillage.
1: hmm <laughs> So yeah, so maybe the guy who said, "Do you want to like play?" Maybe she took over his cards or was helping him play or something. Right.
0: See, I can I can come up with ridiculous or perhaps semi ridiculous explanations. explanations.
1: Yes. Yeah. Rationalizations. But, cl- <laughs> but clearly, they were trying to challenge some some gender stereotypes there that that girls can't be into geeky gaming, and I I, I did really like seeing Kasima and got bond over that game and. It led to that I thought really sweet moment between the two of them later in the episode when Kasima reveals to Scott that she is three two four B two one. Oh, my heart! I know, and he says to her, "You know, it's it's a. I think he says it's an honor to work with you, Kasima." He does. He says it's an honor. I think is what he says at first,
0: and then he says it's an honor to work with you.
1: Mm-hmm. And I just, oh, I kind of love Scott now. And I really loved, I'm blanking on that actor's name, I apologize, but I really loved how he played that moment. He was just so genuine about it. Yes. And I thought it was a really nice moment between Scott and Kasima.
0: It was. Because the whole time he'd been sort of intellectually interested mm-hmm. in meeting the science experiment, but that moment really highlighted Kasima as a person. Mm-hmm. And uh, so perfect.
1: And of course she like draws him in with her humanness and her realness right before she collapses. (laughs) (laughs) We gotta get him invested. They gotta make it hurt more. Yes. But we, we did actually, we got some feedback from, from Colby and I'll read a bit of his email, other piece of his email later. And he mentioned that he felt like Cosima and Delphine flip flopped really quickly in this episode from being in a fight to not being in a fight. But I think the the key to that, I actually didn't think it was that much of a flip-flop because we have that scene where Delphine brings the news of Leaky's death to Cosima. Mm-hmm. And she says, I don't think you have very much time. And this is just following Cosima coughing up blood. Right. Well,
0: that is the thing. Because Delphine does phrase it that way. I don't think we have enough time for this or something like this is... Right? Or for it to be this way, I think is what she maybe says. And the way Delphine finishes her her spiel is, what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. And I think that was really the key. Mm-hmm. Because she's sort of acknowledging subtly that she really shouldn't have acted without Cosima's knowledge or consent before. So now it's sort of handing it back over. Okay, what do you need from me? And so then there's that moment where kasima really sort of gives her a considering look mm-hmm. and then she tells the guys to get out
1: <laughs> yeah i agree even if even if delphine didn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily acknowledging she'd done wrong at the very least she's clearly telling to telling kasima i heard you this is your decision i am respecting that right so i agree that that phrase in particular where she told where she asked Kasima, what do you want to do? I think was really key to Kasima letting go of her anger. Cause I think what we see in the scene between the two of them after the delightful <laughs> scene of them high sucking helium telling dumb science jokes was that Kasima had really done the work internally thinking about why Delphine did what she did. Mm hmm. So I think she had gotten there intellectually, but had, was still holding on to her her angry, hurt feelings, which is completely legitimate. But this exchange that they have in the in the lab helped Kasima kind of let go of the of the angry feelings part because Delphine was making such an effort.
0: Right. I think she did sort of need that acknowledgement from Delphine. That. Yeah. You're right. It's your decision. What do you need? So. Right. I'm relieved that they've made up.
1: Yeah. So I did see sometime during the week, actually, I guess you referred to me, the that the Orphan Black Twitter had tweeted out a picture of Cosima and Delphine and said that, you know, next episode, Cosima fulfills a promise she made to Delphine. And people were kind of like, what? 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 <laughs> I'm getting really worried about it. Although pretty but- quickly,
0: people did latch on to, is this... Are they gonna get baked?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. So I was pleased that we were correct in that. Yes. <laughs> that the, the that I, I say we. I didn't. I was not one of the people who figured that out. But the the general consensus of Clone Club was they probably mean the the getting Delphine really baked, which was hilarious. It was. They were both high and sucking helium. It was. It was just yeah, and so so giggly.
0: And you could almost see at one point Delphine thinking, you know, my face is not on your face. Why is my face not on your face? And then (laughs) Delphine sort of, she kind of looks like she's maybe trying to eat the side of Cosima's face. I don't know. But there are a few shots in there. I don't know. Did you, did you notice those? I did. I did. It's hard not to notice.
1: Yes. Because they have
0: such good faces, both of them.
1: (laughs) But subsequently, we get that We get an I love you scene between the two of them, and all the Kofi and Slash Science Girlfriend shippers go, aww. Indeed they do. But we do have that scene colored by the fact that Kasima essentially threatens Delphine before she says, I love you.
0: (laughs) I cannot tell you how many gift sets of that scene I have seen where they just take that part out. (laughs) (laughs) Which always amuses me.
1: I think it's consistent, though, with how their relationship has been from the beginning.
0: I agree. I totally agree. This was also a Twitter exchange from that night. And yeah, I mean, that's, that was my feeling as well as, you know, given these two
1: characters and the relationship they've had, that seems about right. And I'm curious now what kind of dirt Casima has on Delphine. I haven't had time to go and do like screen grabs of the, the documents that we see her looking at while Scott and his buddies are playing Rune Wars. I saw that at least one of them was in French. so I may not be able to understand all of it. But what do, what do, do you have any idea of what kind of dirt she might have on her?
0: No, I mean, I don't think we actually see anything enough to be incriminating. I mean, from the, mm-hmm. the screen shot that we get. but. Mm-hmm. I guess, if nothing else, she can always hold the eugenicist thing, right?
1: Yeah, that's Since true. Since that's
0: got such negative connotations.
1: Mm-hmm. But I still did think, despite the the threat of blackmail, that <laughs> that it was a very sweet scene between the two of them. Uh, but I, I have to say, even though we got the I love you, we did not get any smoochies, and I would like some smoochies. Was the uh,
0: I need to put my face on your face thing not enough? <laughs>
1: No, (laughs) that was cute. But I I need some smoochies, especially given that that subsequently to the cuteness, there is the collapsing. Uh, Why do we have to think about that? I'm so mad at them for putting that in the promo. I do not, as, as listeners probably know, I do not usually watch promos. However, I accidentally saw that piece of the promo on Tumblr. I have now set up blockers so that that won't happen Why didn't you before? Well, it hadn't ever been an issue. I I had never seen the spoilery post from Orphan Black come through my dashboard, because I actually don't follow... Anyway, whatever. It hadn't (laughs) been an issue previously. But I saw that this week, and it's her last scene of the episode. So I've been worrying all week about her fate. And now I have to worry another week about her fate. Yeah,
0: that was, I, I did think that was a bad call on the part of the promo department. Because it was her last scene of the episode. Yeah, I, I wish they wouldn't do that. If you're going to put stuff in promos, don't make it the last scenes. No. Which is why I can't figure out why I'm not more stressed out right now. Although I think part of it, uh, in reading the TV Guide Canada article, they did say in there something about I think the interviewer asked them about ending the episode on that scene, Mm -hmm. and so they mentioned that they decided to add, or to have the scene with Kira after that, because Mm -hmm. they wanted to end it on hope.
1: A hopeful note. Yes. I appreciated that.
0: Yes. And I think that's actually probably why I'm not as worried as I maybe should be, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) or could be, would be otherwise, so... So, we're, we're again, I'm putting my faith in Kira. Yes. For some reason, that just calmed me down.
1: Even though she's a seven-year-old girl, we feel calmer knowing that Kira has the Island of Dr. Moreau book and is smart enough to know what she's got, probably. Or at least have an idea of of what she's got.
0: Yes. Because she is seven and also 50.
1: Yes. <laughs> I have to say, my immediate reaction, though, to watching that scene where Kasima collapses is... I was, I was like mentally yelling at Delphine, no, don't turn her on her back. When somebody is seizing, you turn them on their side so that they don't choke on their own blood. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, Dr. Cormier. I know you're an immunologist, but come on. Have you never watched Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> <laughs> but if there are any medical professional people who Are thinking in their heads that I'm wrong, please let me know. But from from my experience with people who who have seizures is that Cosima should have been left on her side and not turned onto her back. But I know it was all dramatic to have Delphine crying over her beloved girlfriends. Cradling her her head with the blood
0: coming out of her mouth. Yes. As she's seizing.
1: Oh, now you're depressing me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, see how it goes? (laughs) It's not so fun, is it?
1: payback. But you did it on purpose.
0: (laughs) I was just continuing your thought.
1: Allison and Donnie. I loved Allison and Donnie. How can you not? I was really, and I think this is probably intentional, I was very curious as to what Donnie was being so secretive about when Allison came home from rehab and he was all curled up in the covers on their bed. I really was not expecting there to be tiny alcohol bottles in there.
0: I wasn't either. I was, like, did he not shower off the the blood mm-hmm. from Leaky or something? Like, I was really confused for a second. And then, oh, yeah, that's, that's worse, I think, that he's, you know, drowned himself in alcohol on the day that his wife gets home from rehab. Inconsiderate, Donnie.
1: But I did find it very hilarious when Allison was dumping all of the bottles out onto him, and then he grabbed one and try- was trying to drink it before she could help it.
0: <laughs> As she pounds him with the pillow.
1: Mm-hmm. And then Oscar and Gemma poke their heads in and Allison is like, oh yes, I should act like a reasonable person. <laughs> Just until they're out of the house. Uh, ju- yeah, yeah. But poor Donnie, man. I. But I'm glad that they did not have him try to keep his secret from Allison for too long. I was glad that he fessed up pretty quickly. And that well,
0: after she confessed her accidental death, too.
1: Mm-hmm. But I like that they had them, even before he did that, they had them really talking mm-hmm. on the couch together in this very, we're at camp type of way. And we're, you know, sitting with our legs crossed and across from each other and sharing intimate secrets. And it was, it was very sweet. It's probably the most sweet moment that we've seen between... Allison and Donnie.
0: Right. Well the the most honest and sweet cuz they had sort of a sweet moment at the end of the first season but mm-hmm. so many lies and secrets at that point that you can't enjoy it as you're watching it because you're just like everybody's lying. Right. But yeah, it's like oh, honesty and and the sweetness there and apparently everybody hates Allison's mom. <laughs> <laughs> everybody hates my mom.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, I hate your mother. Ugh. but oh, yeah when, when Donnie, Donnie like Donnie. dove onto the couch and like buried his head into Allison's lap, I I did let out an audible "aw" when he when he did that. Yep. And again, I just want to really say props to Christian Brune. I thought again he was he was fantastic in this episode. He really was. And yes. I thought he looked super adorable with his hair kind of must and not as like neatly combed down as he usually has it, I didn't realize it was as curly as it is
0: <laughs> you you like Donnie all uh scruffy and disastrous.
1: I like people rumpled i I am realizing is a trend when when people are are kind of rumpled, I'm like, oh, I find you even more attractive now. I don't know what it is now that you
0: mentioned it, yeah, you do
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I also like the we actually have, as a sequence in this episode, we get a lot of revelations sort of in the early morning light. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's when Sarah and Tony are talking, and that's when Allison and Donnie are talking. And I think that might be when the I love yous are exchanged between Cosima and Delphine, too. Is in the early morning light, streaming through the windows.
1: But do you think that they... Or Allison is going to tell the other clones about the fact that Donnie was the one who killed Leaky. Do you think this is a both? Well, or did or has Allison revealed to Sarah that she was involved in Ainsley's death? I don't remember. To say- no. Okay, I didn't think so. Just Felix knows. Although, did they maybe tell her?
0: Now I'm not so sure, because she desperately didn't want her to know. Mm-hmm. She told Felix. Felix was the only one who knew. Mm-hmm. Then she told Vic, mm-hmm. and that blew up in her face. And so they called Sarah in, but I don't know if they ever told Sarah why they called her in.
1: Yeah, I'm having a a, a memory gap. I, I, for some reason, I have a feeling that they told her, but that could be me making it up. But do you think that they're going to tell the other clones about Donnie killing Leaky, or do you think they're going to keep that to themselves?
0: I don't know. Now that you mention it, because my instinct is that Allison would want to keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. Especially since she didn't want to, anybody to know about Ainsley. But the fact that it's Leaky does make it relevant. But I guess the fact that they know that Leaky is dead means that Allison doesn't need to tell them why. You know what I mean? Right. Or in in Allison's mind, she doesn't need to tell them why. Right. Or how, rather.
1: I kind of hope that she does, just because I would love to see the clones become closer with each other and tell each other things instead of trying to keep secrets all the time. But I can understand where, out of protectiveness for her husband, she would try to contain that so that neither one of them would get picked up for these accidental murders that they've both committed. Right. That is what I mean. I mean, I
0: I would hope that she would tell them. I mean, it feels like it's something they should know, but I would think that Allison would want to keep it quiet Yeah, for Donnie.
1: And then I I loved the scene between the two of them when they were looking at Leaky's body in the back of Donnie's car. And Allison was criticizing his, his poor tarp, I guess, wrapping technique and that... <laughs> She was going to rewrap him, and oh, Donnie used one of Allison's guns. Oh, Donnie.
0: <laughs> I knew it. I knew. I know. I know. And I fully expect, if she hasn't already, Allison, to give Donnie a lecture about proper gun safety. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel it coming. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Why wasn't the safety on, Donnie?
0: <laughs> and, yeah, the the fact that she's going to make a new liner for the trunk because she's more concerned about the condition of the trunk of the car than she is about the fact that there's a dead body in it (laughs) because it's Alison.
1: But yeah, I was, I was super enjoying the scenes between Allison and Donnie in this episode. And I'm very, I'm very interested to see where it'll go. Now that Donnie knows about the whole clone thing. Now that two clones now have partners who are aware of the clone experiment. So just a couple of, of stray thoughts. We got a very nice email from Annette, who maybe has just started listening to earlier episodes that, that we, we did prior to season two. And she reminded us, as I kind of forgotten, that we had speculated earlier about whether or not Beth knew about Sarah. And now that this episode reveals that Beth knew about Tony and seemingly did not tell Kasima or Allison about him, Maybe, in fact, Beth did know about Sarah. Yes.
0: And yes, thank you, Annette, for mentioning that. I did remember that we talked about that, I think because I was the one who brought it up. Because I've been wondering about this for the past year.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because really, it makes more sense that that Beth did know about Sarah, especially given that Sarah had a rap sheet.
0: Exactly. I mean, if the police managed to find her, and we know that Beth used police resources to run facial recognition to find other clones you know, why would Beth not have known about Sarah?
1: And then I have to admit, because I thought you art fans would like to hear me say this, when Felix got a phone call from Art and tells tells Sarah, you know, oh, it's, you know, Arthur needs my help with something. I internally did a little giddy squee to think of the possibility of, of Felix and Art teaming up again. But I was disappointed that we actually didn't get to see as much as art of Art in this episode as I would have liked.
0: Yes, Art has been awesome this season.
1: He has. He really has been.
0: I liked him last season, but he's been, you know, again, now that he's in on what's really going on, he's been sort of extra
1: helpful and delightful. And I just love him as a a counterpoint to Felix. Right. Because he's just so no-nonsense and and Felix is just overflowing with nonsense at times that I just love the the pair of them. I think they make a really great contrasting pair. Yes, a dynamic duo. In- yes, indeed.
0: <laughs> and so we did get some email feedback for this episode. Of We got quite a few emails, actually. So thank you to everybody who sent those in. From Lisa, she says the whole subplot with Tony in episode eight confused me. I don't get how Tony delivering the message for Beth fits into the story. And frankly, Tatiana Maslany dressed as a transgender guy looked kind of ridiculous. The facial hair was so bad. It felt to me like a jump the shark moment. I desperately hope it wasn't. This show is so well done.
1: And I will say I saved this this commentary for this point in the episode because I wanted to first really applaud the way that Orphan Black handled Tony as a character. However, I don't think they made the best use of his screen time because I'm, I'm with Lisa. Tony delivering this message from Beth. I don't know that it needed to happen. I don't really understand why it happened in this episode, in episode eight, because it didn't further any of our main plot lines. And so this episode to me felt a little indulgent, and I think just maybe its placement in the season makes me kind of impatient with it. So even though I love what they did with Tony, I wish that he would have brought some information that was more pertinent to either Helena's storyline with the Prolethians or the storyline with with Ethan Duncan in some way. I don't have an issue with it.
0: And this is maybe just me, but... I don't know. The Orphan Black tends to have sort of set up episodes where there's maybe stuff that you don't know why they're introducing it now, or it seems kind of out of place, but then bigger picture wise, it fits right in. So it doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm okay with it. I feel like probably what happens is they needed this message that Beth is delivering. You know what I mean? Like they decided that this is a good point to drop this into the story. I assume there's some follow-up with Paul next episode.
1: My thing is, though, is that Paul is is able to demonstrate to us that he's a good guy. So I feel like that particular message didn't need to be delivered through Tony, because Paul is still around to demonstrate what he has told us.
0: But I'm what I'm getting at, though, is that I'm thinking that the writers are thinking, well, this is a good opportunity to introduce this new clone that we've been planning. And that way we'll get a character introduced and we can use that character later should we need him.
1: Right. And I and it's not so much that they brought on Tony necessarily, but I wish that he the information that he had brought had been more directly related to one of our main hanging plot lines. And that his screen time had been used to forward one of those in one way or the or another. So that's my that's my main issue with Tony's storyline is that it didn't, to me, further one of the main plot lines that I'm really worried about me being, you know, Cosima's health, the the clone project, Project Lita, and, and Helena's situation with the Prolethians.
0: I don't know. At this point, I'm okay with it, but I guess we'll see what happens over the next two episodes.
1: And I'm willing to, once I see the rest of the episodes, I'm willing to reconsider if, if this episode works better, it turns out to be more crucial than it appears at the moment. But just my immediate reaction after watching it was I was frankly kind of frustrated that it didn't, it didn't involve one of our, it didn't involve the, the main plot lines that we have going on as much as I would have expected. Cause last week's episode was kind of a pause too. And so I was expecting the pace to pick up more in this episode. But instead, I felt like we had the, the opposite effect. Eh, we'll see. But talking about the hair and makeup design that they they chose for Tony, I don't know that I can back them on the mullet.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. In my my headcanon goes something like this. Tony as a youngster saw a picture of Billy Ray Cyrus and went, "You know what? That's super cool." <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's funny cuz in the Inside Orphan Black feature, they talked about choosing Longer hairstyle for Tony, based on the fact that you can't cram all of Tatiana's hair under a short men's wig and have it look good. And quite honestly, wigs tend to look better when the hair is longer. Mm I have never seen a good wig that was cut super short. Right, because they're right. I mean,
0: that as it looks weird and sort of lumpy, and yeah,
1: and and I and like I said earlier, I actually really like that Tony has. Long hair, but I was—I was actually on, when I was on Facebook last night. I noticed one of my friends who is a trans guy, and he has long hair. And I was looking at his profile picture, and I was like, you know, they should have used you as a basis for Tony's look, <laughs> because the way he has his hair in the in his profile picture right now is he has the the part of his hair that would maybe fall in his face pulled back, but then the rest of his hair is down long, and it looks really good. It's still a really masculine look and it kind of i guess would be similar to to the mullet look in a way but it's not a mullet (laughs) fair enough though i will say my first thought was why didn't they just pull tatiana's hair back into a ponytail but i think probably they worried she meaning tatiana would look too much like allison if they just did a ponytail and that's probably why they avoided the ponytail look Mm mm-hmm but as far as, as being jump-the-shark moment, I wouldn't worry yet. I, I don't think that that was what, what we were seeing there. Nah, I don't think so either. Oh, and I should also say, fake facial hair also
0: always looks bad. <laughs> I I do think that's hard to get right, or hard yeah. to make it look natural.
1: Yeah, I think and it's even more blatant in this case because it's on a woman, so people are are even more sort of skeptical about it being there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, facial hair, like I've never really seen good facial hair. Can Oh, just thinking about all the bad facial hair on Angel. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Tragic. I was actually thinking, I, I forget which, I forget which
0: X-Men movie it is. There's one of the X-Men movies. It might be the first one. Cause I think they cast Hugh Jackman so late in the game that he didn't really mm-hmm. have time to prepare sufficiently. So I think mm-hmm. they like glued his his facial Sideburns. hair on.
2: Yeah, yeah, the
0: the is it mutton chops? Is that what they call those? They're kind of, yeah. And so for like half the movie it looks pretty weird. <laughs> and uh like finally he managed to grow his own facial hair in sufficiently that it was his and they didn't have to use fake ones, but the the fake ones don't look good.
1: Yeah. Again, short fake hair, it often does not look very good. So So, moving on to some feedback that we got from both Dan and Brooke, they were reacting to the revelation that the clones had been made infertile by design. And uh, Brooke says, I was surprised but appreciate the fact that Sarah and Helena were mistakes in being fertile. I had thought that they were successes, and clearly the others' clones saw them as such, too. Even Rachel takes issue with the fact that Sarah had a child while she cannot. I love that they showed Rachel's clone-like freakout as her fantasy of letting go. I completely believe that she would think about destroying things without actually carrying out the actions of it. That loss of control is not something she seems prone to allow.
0: And then Dan says, I absolutely love the reveal that the clones were, quote, barren by design, end quote. I called it way back before the end of season one, when we were first learning most of them were so, and then when we found out, Sarah and Helena got away from the system very early. I thought the infertility might be intentional. I've seen a few complaints around the net, not many yet, though, that the answer being by design seems too easy. But I disagree. I think. It slaps our heroines with the agency, bodily autonomy, and reproductive rights question right in the face. Look at Rachel's reaction, and she's been the most emotionally controlled, or just bottled up, clone we've met so far.
1: And I think that's a really good point. That's a big theme of the show, the fact that these clones' bodies are not entirely their own. And this is yet another example of that, that they've had their their ability, their right to have children purposefully taken away from them mm-hmm. by design of this experiment. It's so heartbreaking to me to hear Rachel refer to herself as a prototype, mm-hmm. like having to dehumanize herself that way in the conversation. Yes. Just, it was, it was really rough to hear. And then Dan's comment also reminded me of the fact that I don't think we've, we've talked about this before, but the fact that, Dyad really exploited the women who carried the clones as well, because they they thought they were going in and getting IVF treatment and were give, being given their own genetic material. But instead, they, you know, pulled a switch on them and basically used these women as incubators in their in their experiment.
0: Yeah, as far as we know, there was some question about this, I think, last week. I think maybe somebody mentioned it on Twitter or something that we don't actually know what the situation was with the parents. Since we know that Ethan and Susan Duncan were the parents and, you know, implantation team and all this sort of thing for Rachel. So we don't know what the situation was with all the clones. It seems like they were more an exception than the rule, because it does seem like most of the other clones were given just to regular other families that happen to undergo IVF. And I think that's enforced in this episode, since Tony says that his parents or uh, he says that his mother said that there was a problem with the IVF. So it does indicate that they hadn't known about the experiment.
1: Yeah. I I had always assumed that the parents didn't. And I agree. I feel like Tony's Tony's comment indicates that 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 was probably the case that they, that Dyad or whomever was controlling the experiment at that time pulled a switch on these parents that they were unaware of.
0: Right. I mean, I thought so too, but it's one of those things you never quite know. Right. With the right. show. Yeah. Especially with Sarah's comment to Ethan, something about, uh, so mommy and daddy were first monitors or whatever it was that she said. So,
1: and then we got an email from Colby and he had, I thought some interesting speculation as to what might be, coming in the next couple of episodes. And he says, so where does the battle go from here? What is the battle? I think things will now flow according to an emerging Helena-Rachel symmetry that he previously mentioned. Helena was raised by the Prolethians, but eventually came to reject them after she met Sarah. But now Helena returns to the cult because of her desire to be a mother. Rachel was raised by the Neolutionist Leakey, whom she eventually disowned. She now feels the full force of betrayal with Ethan Duncan's revelation that the clones were all designed to be barren. But she stays within the Dyad world because that is the only way she can recover her fertility. Of course, Sarah was key to both Helena and Rachel learning the truths about their origins and upbringing. So there will be at least a detente, if not a full alliance formed between Rachel and the other sisters. Of course, the Proletheans won't just let Helena have a child and go free. They will seek control over her and her child slash children. And the Neolutionists within Dyad likely have no concern for Rachel's desire to bear children and, in fact, may act to prevent that outcome. So it would seem that the story arc will have Helena and Rachel burning down their respective nurturing domains. And while I'm not entirely convinced of some of the the ideas that he has about about Rachel, that the reason she sticks with Dyad is to recover her fertility, I I am intrigued with this idea that now that Rachel has had all this information revealed to her, that she will become a force within Dyad acting against it.
0: Yeah, because from her reaction, I gather that this is one of those moments where she realizes that they've been not necessarily lying to her outright. I mean, they might have, I don't know, but she definitely now knows that they've been withholding this information from her, that she was designed this way. And I think that's one of those hard truths that's come crashing down, right? That,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, she was designed and has had all these sort of things predetermined for her existence. And, yeah, something's got to give at this point, I think.
3: Hello, Stephanie and Chris. I have just finished viewing this week's Orphan Black for the first time, and I'm trying to form a coherent thought. Oh, this is Katrin, by the way. Um, Trans clone, that's really freaking awesome. I didn't think they'd go there. They went there. That impresses me. Um, Cosima and Delphine getting high. I would like more of that. Delphine saying I love you first was (laughs) perfect, and the saying it in French was more perfect, and um, Cosima was adorable. We're not going to talk about that ending. And, um, yeah, basically just lots of interesting things we found out. I hope that Ethan is able to cure Cosima. I hope that Cosima's going to be okay. I'm not going to be okay if Cosima's not okay. And, um, uh, Tony kissing Felix was kind of strange just because Felix and that is a copy of his sister and that... mm. And, um... Yeah,
4: I'm just kind of rambling now, so I'm going to hang up. It's a great episode. Bye. I would just like to start with an apology for the crappy mic um, not recording on my computer this time. But um, I would also like to say that I really enjoyed the episode, um, unsurprisingly, and particularly the introduction of Tony, um, both as from a representation standpoint um, but also as a character in general, I think that, um, Tatiana is amazing. And I also kind of perhaps ship Felix and Tony. Maybe. <laughs> um, I really liked their early dynamic. And I hope he comes back. Um, I can't imagine he'll stay on that bus forever. Um, moving on to Cosima and Delphine. Um, every week I love their scenes together and this was no different. Um their entire relationship is just so great. Um, for loads of different reasons. Um the I love you scene this week was interesting to me because it really shows, I don't know, the line that they walk so often between tenderness and apprehension almost that just I, I don't I can't even properly describe it, but it's great. I love it, and I cannot wait to see what is in store.
5: Okay, hi, guys. This is Sally. So this week, there was some awesome stuff that happened with the story, and usually my reaction to watching TV is I watch it, and then I'm like, what the heck happened, especially with Orphan Black? But I think that it's from listening to your podcasts, this one, and Drinks at the Doll, as well as the Bomb Girls' Beacon, I've become a little more attuned to how things are shot and lit. And what I noticed this week is that there were tons of scenes that were shot in the morning light when the sun was coming up and it was dawn. And so the light was very beautiful. I also wondered if they were trying to say something with, you know, sort of like sunrise and dawning and... The morning, you know, like fresh possibilities, that kind of thing. So I don't know, but I'm looking forward to hearing your comments about the morning light. And it was cool.
6: Hey, everybody. It's Dawson. I figured I'd send in a message about episode 208 of Orphan Black. There's lots of great stuff in this episode. There's lots of great stuff in every episode, let's be honest. Yeah, there was Sarah... Being aggressive with Mrs. S. There was Ethan Duncan being sweet but a little weird with Kira. There was some some great stuff all around. There's wonderful Kofine stuff. There's wonderful Casima stuff. There's wonderful Scott stuff. There were board games in the lab. All of these are things that I love dearly. But I'm gonna focus in on what's been my focus really since the episode aired, which is Tony, the trans clone, who was a very big deal to me. As weirdly nervous as I am to say it for some reason, I am a trans man, uh, an FTM. Um, I transitioned 10 years ago, so I'm pretty far, far past that. But Tony was really important to me in a lot of ways. So touching on some of the the things about Tony that were important to me, and I could talk about Tony for days. I have a three-part essay series on Tumblr. Go find it if you're interested. You can read every little detail. But the main thing for me was just that I remember watching the Nerd HQ panel and hearing Tatiana and Jordan saying they think it'd be cool to have a trans clone and just inside being so afraid of them ever actually doing it because it's very hard to represent trans people, or at least it seems to be. I've never seen personally a representation of trans people that I felt like looked like me. And boy, was I wrong because Orphan Black really nailed it in a lot of ways. Tony was a trans clone, but it wasn't all about his transness. In fact, it was about so many other things, but it was still a vehicle for them to be representative on television and to show someone who, for me, really feels like me as a part of a show I'm a huge fan of, and that was the most emotional thing I've ever experienced, actually. Surprisingly emotional, because I, I didn't expect to have that kind of reaction to seeing myself represented in my fandom it gave me a real appreciation for why representation is so important. <laughs> um, really kind of bone-deep feeling and understanding of that that I didn't have before. And that really blew me away. So along with that feeling and sense of representation and how that suddenly became very real and less abstract for me and why it's important and what it means, there have been some interesting conversations on Tumblr um, where I've kind of been writing about this a lot. And one of the interesting things to me was women talking about not being sure if they were comfortable with a man entering into this space, right, that has been a women's space, and I totally get that, and I have the same thing that I wonder, because I don't want trans men to just be a different kind of woman, because they're not. But as a trans man, I also know that I don't fit in the cis world with cis men. I am largely not accepted by those men, and so it can often feel like there is no space for you, and for this show um that I love so much and this fandom largely to say no it's okay you can be here with us this is a space for you you're safe here was incredibly moving to me the experience of watching cis women defending trans men defending Tony felt like they were defending me and that was huge to me and really blew me away in the fandom as a part of the show with the creators and how much work they put in Tatiana how much work she's put in I'm sure how much work Jordan put in I'm sure bringing this character to life and and making a space for trans people at the table. And that was really mind-blowing to me. And I am so grateful, which I've been writing about for days now. The sheer power of this one character and the many hours of work put in by these people to represent someone like me in a space, in a show that I love, and to give me a place to be who I am and loved for who I am, for all of who I am, that I don't have to pretend not to be trans to be accepted in the way I do with cis people, that I don't have to minimize my maleness to be accepted, as I often do in lesbian and and even gay communities, was amazing. It was really spectacular and so important. And if me, 10 years post-transition, needed that and didn't know how hungry I was for that and didn't know how much I needed that, I can only imagine how young trans people must feel. So um, big shout out to Orphan Black, the creators, the writers, Tatiana Jordan, everybody, cast and crew. You guys have done an amazing thing, and I am so grateful, and I'm sure a lot of the trans community is. So that's my take. Much gratitude for everybody. Thanks, guys. Catch you later. Just a clarification. I touched on a little bit some of the conversations on Tumblr about men, even trans men, sort of encroaching on a show largely dominated by women and about women and for women, and there have been lots of great conversations around that, and I think I totally respect everybody's feelings on that. I think it makes some women uncomfortable, this idea of a man coming into the space, and I totally get that. It makes me a little uncomfortable. Um, I love that the show is women-centric. I love that there's so much for women in this, but I am so still very grateful to the show itself and the fandom for embracing trans men um, for the most part. Nonetheless, it's it's hard to not have a space, and it's a very generous thing for women who have so little space of their own to, to share theirs with a trans person. It's been hugely amazing to me, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. So totally get everybody's perspectives on that, but super grateful for people kind of letting it happen anyway, even though it's maybe a little difficult. So that's just my final note, making sure I clarified. Thanks, guys.
1: Thank you again to everybody who sent us feedback for this episode. We really appreciate all the contributions that we've been receiving. We love hearing your thoughts and ideas. You can send us your thoughts about this episode by emailing us at feedback at com. You can also leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at com slash 36, or you can send us a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail tab on the right-hand side of the webpage. You can also follow us on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we are on Facebook now.
0: At facebook.com slash Tatiana is everyone.
1: We also want to say again, thank you to everybody who left us reviews on iTunes. And we wanted to mention if you're listening to us on Stitcher, because there's apparently quite a few of you, we would love it if you wanted to leave us a review over there. You can do that at Tatiana is everyone dot com slash Stitcher. That will take you to our Stitcher page where you can leave us a rating and or a review. And this week, The Island of Dr. Moreau and our awkward,
0: complicated feelings about the Felix and Tony kiss were played by Tatiana Massani. Thanks for listening.